Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome. This is the Warning Woods Halloween Special 2022, The Exorcism of Ridgeville. This is part three of a five-part miniseries. Be sure to listen to each part of the story in the order they are released. This story will reach its terrifying conclusion at midnight on October 31st, Halloween. Without further ado, here is The Exorcism of Ridgeville. Part 3 The tragedy of the day wouldn't end with the church burning down. The police recovered Sam's body later that morning. He was naked and horribly burned from the neck down. Police Chief Redmond Stone held a press conference and announced there would be an extensive investigation into both the fire and Sam's death, but at that time, the department assumed the two were directly connected. The prepared statement the chief read implied that Sam had burned down the church as an act of meaningless arson and had fatally injured himself in the process. I went to the press conference with the pastor, whose name I learned was Isaac. The press conference was held just outside the police station. Isaac had been invited to speak, but had declined the offer. He told me he would rather deal with the aftermath of the fire privately with his congregation. We had hoped to learn more about the circumstances of the fire, but the chief and later the mayor were both incredibly vague. They made it sound like Sam, who had lived peacefully in town for years, had suddenly turned into a deranged criminal. The press seemed to eat this narrative up. All of their questions pried at how Sam burned the church down and not why. Isaac and I had a few questions of our own, but decided to wait until the official conference ended to ask them. The chief tried to vanish as soon as the mayor concluded the event. Luckily, Isaac had the foresight to start walking to the police station's side door as the last journalist was asking her question. Before the chief could grab the door handle, Isaac was saying, Excuse me, sir. The chief turned toward us slowly. He looked exhausted. I had never considered how tiring it must be to stand up and answer questions for an hour. And that on top of managing an arson investigation in a small town where crimes of any sort are seldom committed. What do you want? He asked rudely. I saw you two standing in the back over there. What's the deal? 
You can't watch the press conference on TV like everyone else. We just wanted to get a little more info, I said. Well, I hate to say it, but I told the reporters everything I know. That's not true, Isaac said. The chief grimaced and looked at his boots bashfully. He looked like a small child caught in a lie. I made a mental note to ask Isaac if the chief was in his congregation later. Look, we knew Sam had been missing for a few days before the fire. I told one of your officers Sam had disappeared, I added. The chief snapped and pointed at me. You were that author who just got into town. Your house was broken into, he said, putting everything together. All right, I guess I can give you a little more info since you are technically part of this investigation. I am? Not here. The Underground, 7.30. Just you two. I am not going to have this conversation in uniform. The chief left us there bewildered. Isaac finally shrugged and said he should probably get to the church and deal with the insurance or whatever else needed to be done regarding the fire. I lied and told him I had plenty of business of my own to attend to, but I ended up at home binging the office instead. It was a show I liked to put on like a blanket. It warmed and comforted me. I knew the episodes well enough to allow my mind to wander away and find its way back when it felt safe. I might have looked slovenly and bored to an observer that afternoon, but inside my gears were turning as my mind processed speculation after speculation on what the police chief might tell us later that night. Isaac and I arrived at the underground, the lesser frequented of Ridgeville's two bars, promptly at 7.30. I had a habit of showing up exactly on time when I felt anxious about a particular meeting. I privately wondered if the pastor's timeliness was a symptom of his own nervousness. Together, we entered the bar through the door under its pink neon sign. Isaac looked visibly uncomfortable as he scanned the small crowd. Thankfully, but not surprisingly, he didn't see any members of his congregation. The chief stood up from a table in the back corner and came to meet us by the door. I almost didn't recognize him under his Chicago Bears baseball cap. Keep your heads down, the chief said as he came near enough to be heard over the thumping bass line of the Red Hot Chili Peppers rendition of Higher Ground. His cap tilted down towards the sticky floor as he led us to the corner table. Have a seat, he said, gesturing to the booth with its back to the door. He sat down opposite us under a green lamp. A quarter-full pitcher of beer sat in front of him in a puddle of foam. Once we were seated, he slid two glasses toward me and gestured to the pitcher. I emptied its remaining contents into one glass, which I shyly offered to Isaac. He held up his hand and shook his head, much to my delight. I pulled the glass back towards myself and took a long swig. Before my glass hit the table again, the chief said, Now I want to stick to facts during this conversation. Is that clear? Isaac and I looked at each other incredulously. Under normal circumstances, I would wholeheartedly agree, but first, I'm curious why you feel the need to say that, sir, I said. The chief stared me down. I could feel disdain filling his booth, threatening to overflow across the table. All right, he finally said, slapping his hand on the table in front of himself. I'll probably regret talking to you two at all, but let's just see where this goes. For starters... I don't believe Sam was at the church when the fire started. But you told the reporters, the chief interrupted me with a raised hand. I gave them a simplified narrative to run with. It wasn't a lie, but the whole truth is hard to believe. 
That's why I dragged you two out here instead of talking at the station. Oh, and by the way, if you try to run to anyone else with a word of this, they'll just think you're crazy, so don't bother. It sounded more like he was trying to convince himself than us. Just tell us, Chief, Isaac said. The Chief gave us each long stares in turn, then leaned back in his seat. Just call me Red. I'm going to need to abandon my official title for this conversation to proceed. Isaac and I agreed to this, although I didn't think it really mattered, and Red continued. The witness who called 911 says the whole church went up at once. The whole building just... He threw his hands in the air, imitating fire shooting upwards. One second everything's normal, the next, the entire building is in flames. The fire department investigated this claim? I asked. The fire department, some of my guys, yeah, we looked into it. Trust me, I made sure they were thorough. I'm sure. It was your church too, Isaac said, confirming my earlier suspicion. So, did this witness see anyone go in or come out of the church? I asked. Red shook his head. No. Now we asked if she saw anybody and she's pretty convinced no one went in or out. So what? Sam could have gone out the back or something, Isaac said. I don't think so, Red replied. The only evidence Sam was there at all are the burns he had on him. That's pretty damning evidence though, isn't it? I asked. Red took a long swig from his glass, emptying it before he continued. It would probably make this whole conversation easier if I just laid out the facts as we know them, he said. He folded his hands on the table, drew a deep breath, and began. Call came in around three in the morning. The witness told dispatch what I just told you about the church going up in flames. Six minutes later, one of my officers gets there and secures the scene while fire starts showing up and works on putting the church out. They have the fire extinguished by 345 and we start investigating. At four on the dot, another call comes in. This one is from a guy up in the hills. Says he's found a body. We get somebody up there and figure out it's Sam. His arms are burned so bad we can see charred bones in his hands. His torso was blackened and everything else was charred pretty good. Creepier still, he was laying in the middle of a star he'd drawn in the dirt. There were a few little ash piles scattered around the star, so I'm guessing some other stuff got burned up too. It was like something out of a horror movie, you know? A watch, maybe? Isaac asked. I'm sorry, Red replied. Could one of the other objects in the star have been a watch? I clarified. Red squinted his eyes. I'm not sure if he was thinking or trying to read our faces in the dull, greenish light. Not unless it was made of something that could totally burn up. I'm telling you, all that was left was ash. So you think Sam started the fire, burned himself, and ran up into the hills? I asked. The chief shook his head. Not possible, he said. Where Sam's body was found is a two-hour walk from the church, and that's for a normal healthy person. If we assume he got burned in the church fire, that means he made that walk double time with his injuries. It just doesn't add up. What about the guy who found him? Could he have set Sam on fire? Or driven him up the hill? Maybe it's just a coincidence that Sam was killed on the same night the church burned down. That'd be a hell of a coincidence around here. No, I don't think so. The guy who found him is a hunter. He was out getting an early start. We did question him, no doubt, but he's innocent. 
He's far enough up in those hills he could have just buried Sam rather than call us to come get him if he didn't want us poking around in his business. Well, Chief, Red, sorry. Why don't you just give it to us straight? What exactly do you think happened last night? Off the record, of course, Isaac said. Was any of this on the record? The chief asked, raising an eyebrow at me. I raised my hand to show I was figuratively unarmed. If I ever write about this, I swear you won't even be mentioned, I said. Red nodded, but I thought I caught a hint of indignation in his eyes. I wondered if the closed-up tough guy we were being presented with was an act. I wondered if he might actually want a little attention. Well, his eyes flicked to me again. Off the record. I don't think Sam started the fire directly, but I still think he's responsible. Based on the scene we recovered his body from, I believe he was attempting some sort of occult ritual, and... Here, the chief paused on the precipice of a crucial moment. He searched us both with his eyes, especially the pastor. He was looking for something. Trust? Maybe. His face didn't hold the stern hardness I would have expected from the town's top cop. It slowly dawned on me that Red was about to say something completely ludicrous, and what he was looking for from us was safety. Go ahead, Chief, I encouraged. We'll believe you. Red furrowed his brow and leaned all the way back in the booth, sliding a little sideways. Well, boys, I think his ritual actually worked. A pregnant pause lingered while Isaac and I processed this statement. Just to be sure I understand, you think Sam was able to set the church on fire from miles away with some kind of, what, magic? I asked. I tried to make sure I sounded curious, but not doubtful. I think he took out that church like a sniper on a hilltop. Sorry, Pastor, I don't mean to be glib, it's just... No need to apologize, Red. I've done my grieving. It was just a building. However, there's one missing item that still bothers me. A watch. And we need you to be on the lookout for it. That's why I asked about a watch earlier. We think it's connected, I added. Sam gave it to me right before my house was broken into, and weird stuff kept happening at home after that. I gave the watch to Isaac for safekeeping because I thought it might have been... cursed, for lack of a better term. Red, that watch was in a fire-safe box and is the only item that went unaccounted for after the fire, Isaac reiterated. All right. A watch? Really? Just an ordinary watch? The chief asked. Isaac and I remained flat and serious. The chief shrugged and sighed. I thought it was silly of him to believe a dark ritual could burn down a church but draw the line at a cursed watch. Maybe he realized this too, because he leaned forward again and adopted a more sincere posture. This watch, what's it look like? He asked. Cheap, I said. Nothing special. Brown leather band, the face is cracked, it doesn't work. Isaac jumped in. Most importantly, it has an inscription in the back that looks like it was scratched with a knife or something. It's the letters B-L-Z-B-L. All capital. Does that mean anything to you? Should it? Red asked. I believe it's shorthand for Beelzebul. The, uh, demon, right? The chief scratched his bare cap as he tried to remember an old sermon the pastor had given in which this particular demon was mentioned. Correct, Isaac said. And now it's my turn for insane theories. I believe Sam was an unwitting pawn in this demon's scheme, 
I don't think it is a coincidence that the church caught fire on the very first night the watch was being kept inside. I'm not sure where Sam got the watch, but I think he was instructed to give it to you, Patrick, and I think you were influenced to bring it to me. I think the demon Beelzebul needed to get that watch inside the church to burn it down. All that work just to destroy a little church in Ridgeville? The chief asked. Think about it. This is a small town. My church is... was the only one here. Without it, my faithful congregation doesn't really have a place to gather, to feel close to God. We're scattered unless I can figure out where I can gather everyone together. How would that help a demon? It's pretty simple, really. Uh, imagine some type of violent motorcycle gang came to town and set up a clubhouse somewhere. Let's just say a warehouse on the edge of town. You and your cops need to capture these guys, but they're armed and dangerous. Would you charge onto their turf and try to arrest them on the spot, or would you try to separate them and pick them off one by one on your terms? Hmm. Okay, I think I see what you're getting at, the chief said. This demon wants to waltz into our town without a fight. Exactly. So it separated all the people who might get together and pray it away or whatever. Basically, the Christians here will be weaker without each other's support. So now it's up to the three of us to fight it? The three of us sat silently for nearly a minute while Alan Jackson sang It's Five O'Clock Somewhere through the overhead speakers. Red was right. We had to fight the evil. A writer, a pastor, and a cop. The duty had somehow landed on our shoulders. If I had stopped to consider it, I might have realized I bore no real responsibility, not on paper. I hadn't taken any oath to protect this little community of Ridgeville. I could have just gotten into my car and gotten the hell out of there if I had wanted to. Instead, I studied the other two men's faces. First the chiefs, then the pastors, and couldn't help but admire the courageous resolve I saw in their eyes. They were committed to doing battle, and something within me, some instinct I thought I had lost in the blurry transition from childhood into constantly buzzing adult life, said, damn the risk, damn the consequences. Let's do this. I downed the rest of my beer in one gulp and slammed my glass down on the table as I asked, so how do we fight a demon? You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. 
the team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.